The healthy man does not torture others. Generally, it is the tortured who turn into torturers. Carl Jung. Everybody and welcome to another episode of Felonious Pundits. I'm your host, Kentad Spinsgard, and along with me is another one of your hosts. As always, my friend and yours, please say hello to AJ Mass. Hello and damn. <laughs> <laughs> yes, damn. We are Felonious Pundits, are we not? We are here to speak about the show Criminal Minds. Oh, we are, we are, yes, yes. Uh, What we do is recap and review and give our opinions on uh, each episode, and we're going to do all of them. Uh, And we're only in season two right now. Season two. I mean, don't say it's so sad. I mean, we are in season two right now. I've gotten through season one. We're in season two. And, you know, hey, we're, we're in it for the long haul, as they say. Indeed we are. Uh, This week we are looking at uh, Season 2, Episode 3 of Criminal Minds, which is entitled The Perfect Storm. Uh, It originally aired on October 4th, 2006, written by Deborah J. Fisher and Erica Messer, and directed by Felix Alcala. So we've seen this creative team working together before. And oh, do they try and work it this week. Uh, sometimes, as usual, successfully, and sometimes not so much. <laughs> exactly. Uh, just a little reminder for the folks out there, because I didn't say it before, but uh, I am sure everybody that's here has been with us before. But if you haven't, I have never seen each episode that we watch of Criminal Minds, and I so I give you the virgin perspective, so to speak, on each episode, and AJ has seen every episode plenty of times. He is our grizzled veteran of the Criminal Minds fandom. And um, my day, Criminal Minds was on television. (laughs) Anyway, let's get to the uh, recap on episode three. We open on a house in Jacksonville, Florida. A woman is grabbing some mail from her mailbox. She goes back in her house. She's in her kitchen and she yells out, do you want grapefruit or cranberry? A man says, I want coffee. And she's like, cranberry it is. And take it easy on the butter. (laughs) Nice domestic tranquility. Domestic tranquility. Nothing can go wrong here if we were watching another show. Uh, So she uh, grabs a package that she found and she uh, brings it into the living room where her husband is. And she says, hey, look. Uh, Laura sent her pictures from her Orlando trip. The woman looks confused when she pulls out a DVD and her husband starts to mock her technological skills a little bit. Um, He puts the DVD into his computer and then it takes a turn. AJ, bad news. (laughs) Um, It is not... It is not Laura's Orlando vacation trip. Instead, it is Laura being tortured. The man starts breathing very heavily and in a, some, in a way that seemed kind of sick to me. The tune playing in the background on the videotape was Billy Joel, Only the Good Die Young. Uh, that was kind of harsh. Yeah, we, we, call that, we call that a contrast. 
with the music, <laughs> but it doesn't fit the tone. Because yeah, she she is getting brutally and savagely beaten by this this man in a mask, and you know, it the tonal shift, uh, horrible, horrible, horrible. And like you said, her father breathing breathing heavy there, uh, and he don't look too good. No, and uh, we cut to the BAU, and Hotch and JJ are watching the video. JJ confirms with Hotch that it was sent directly to the family, and she gives us all the news that the father had a heart condition, and this video caused him to die while he was watching Which, it. I gotta say, the writer is very clever, because they do throw in the line about, uh, you know, I want coffee, you'll have cranberry juice, which implies, basically, she's watching out for his heart condition. I, I just like that it's thrown in there, it's mm -hmm. very subtle. Uh, one point to the writers on this one. We don't always give them points, but yeah. I'm gonna point out when they get it right, and that was a nice little... Subtle hint. Yes. Uh, so now, of course, we're going to cut to the whole team in our conference room. Hotch is saying that uh, the music was actually part of the audio background. So if you turn down the sound, you also turn down all of the voices. So they've got to get Garcia to work on uh, separating the audio tracks. And of course, she's already on it. So yeah, I'm a little upset. I'm just a little upset that, you know, usually they'll use the term. And then explain the term, and here they just explained the term, and they didn't say diegetic. It's diegetic music. <laughs> music that was playing at the time it was recorded. Like, come on, people, you're a TV show. You know what it means. Educate. Mm -hmm. As well as entertain, which this is not really entertaining at this point, because this is, this is a brutal one. This this one, there's, there's not a yeah. lot of happy in this one. They will educate if they want to tell us what OMG means, but not <laughs> explain something <Exactly>. like <laughs> that. <laughs> so... Uh, JJ tells them about their victim. Her name is Laura Clemenson. She's 20 years old. She's a sophomore at Jacksonville University. And she is assumed to be the fifth in a series of rapes and murders over the last two years. She didn't happen to be reported missing because her roommate thought she was visiting her family and her family thought she was at school. However, she was very close to her family. She had dinner with them just the last Sunday which was five days ago, and nobody has seen her until now. Morgan points out that she wasn't killed on the tape, and Forensic says that the other victims were tortured for weeks before they were killed, so they should operate as if she's still alive. Elle is a party pooper. She says, not for long if this bastard gets his way. And uh, Morgan wonders why this is the fifth abduction and the second DVD. Why did they wait to call BAU in? And J.J. says that the last victim's family got their DVD about two months ago. The Jacksonville PD thought they'd get more clues, and instead they just raised more questions. Reed says there's a natural escalation to these murders. It starts off as brutal attacks against the victims, and then now it's come to psychological attacks against the families. So for some reason, they discover if the thrill of the kill doesn't satisfy this unsub sadistic needs, he th he thrives instead on spreading panic afterward. Now, this is this is, you know, I, I enjoy the 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 detail that they're going into. I have no problem with the description of what's going on. I, just, I had a bit of a problem is that on the they play the video while they're talking about this and how brutal the torture is. And. They're not actually going to show us brutal torture because that would be horrible to watch. So what you do see, if you pay attention to the video, is the masked man is just tickling her feet. 
And it's like, and I realized that tickling can be torturous. And, you know, it, it just, when he's talking about, they're so brutal, and he's tickling her feet, it's like, it's just like, that's, just don't show right. us anything, please. It just, it just, it took me right out of the scene. Uh, obviously, you know, I'm watching it for the 50 millionth time, so I'm paying attention to the details in the background, but choose something different. I mean, obviously, you don't want the guy to actually be torturing a woman <laughs> on the video. We're, we're making right. this, but come on, but do better. Maybe she's. Maybe she's just laying there crying, and it's not an action part of the video, right. you know. So we don't have to. Yes. Yeah. Or just keep the still. Be taken out keep, of it. Keep it still. You had. A, you had they've been showing still shots to when they get to torture stuff. You know, they're not going to show us. Oh, freeze frame. Oh, it was really so brutal. We had to pause it here. Like, you know, next thing he's going to be going. Oh, peekaboo, peekaboo. See, I'm scaring you. Peekaboo. <laughs> That's what I expect next. Once again, folks, we're trying to create some sort of comedy in this because it's such a horrible situation here. A little bit of levity. Yeah. We don't take lightly any of this abuse. You understand that. It's just we got to have a little bit of fun because this is just some – oh, we'd go crazy. Yeah. And as you said, there's not there's not a lot of humor in this week's <laughs> no. episode. Yeah. So they're talking about the fact that sadistic killers usually are strangers to their victims. Uh, Reed says it's usually – easier for the offender to torture and kill someone that they don't know. And he says the offender to torture and kill someone they don't know. And Gideon corrects him and says it's offenders uh, because the man on the tape is playing to an audience, not the family. Someone else is watching who can appreciate his sadistic skills. Reed says, well, it's a trade of partners to record their crimes so they can relive the fantasy later. They watch the video and they notice how the camera moves. And so somebody's on the other side of that camera, which, yeah, um, we can talk about in a second because it looks like you're chomping at the bit to bring that up. And uh, but uh, Gideon says one guy tortures while the other one records it. Master and servant. And Hotch says, well, Jacksonville PD has been looking for this killer for years. How long is it going to take them to find a team? And we cued to various cuts of the team members looking perplexed and serious. Yes. Yes. A very long pause. And I, I will point out that, well, I mean, first of all, uh, if they were looking for a killer, but they were wrong because they should have been looking for a team. And now they, you're able to tell them that a team, perhaps we'll find them faster. <laughs> I know Hutch is trying to say, well, if they couldn't find one person, they're not going to find two. Well, actually, maybe they can. Uh, but so <clears throat> I don't think that means what you think it means, Hutch. But also Hutch pointing out that the camera moves. <laughs> I mean, it, it really, it moves in the same way that had she been struggling and kicked a tripod that was there holding it, it would have moved the exact same way. If they really wanted to demonstrate that it moved, they should have shown a zoom in or something, something that acquired some sort of manual control uh, or actually moving position on a sweep, uh, something like that. It really just looked like, oh, look, right. the camera moved as she was struggling. And it just, no, it just, that was bad. It was just badly done. Again, do a better job production crew on this scene. I don't think this scene was directed well at all. Uh, <laughs> boo, boo, boo. Or at least it's not... If not the A team, this was the B team who sat the remote footage and just didn't do a good enough job with it. It's a little inside baseball there, but there you go. <laughs> anyway, enough of my ranting. Uh, opening credits. Criminal Minds, Criminal Minds, Criminal Minds. It's Criminal Minds. We next cut to the BAU jet taking off, and we get our opening quote from Gideon. He says, Mark Twain wrote... Of all the animals, man is the only one that is cruel. He is the only one that inflicts pain for the pleasure of doing it. 
Then we cut to our jet and the team is there analyzing the video. Uh, they notice several times in the video the unsub looking back at the camera toward his partner. They say that they're acting out their deranged and sadistic fantasies. Uh, Reed says, a folie à deux. And Gideon explains that that's a rare psychological phenomenon in which two or more people share the same psychotic delusion. And Reed says, well, that's its literal translation, <laughs> yes, but it often refers to the bond that exists between two people that bring out the worst in each other. Elle is helpful here. She points out that most killing teams have a dominant personality who instigates things and plans things. And then there's a submissive one who's eager to kill. The dominant one usually insists on getting the kill, though. And JJ asks what's the psychology behind making these DVDs, and they tell her it's probably because it's a shared souvenir. It allows the dominant one to keep the submissive one motivated, loyal, and aroused. And uh, it's also about control. Uh, it's built a built-in insurance policy for blackmail in case someone gets cold feet. Uh, at that moment, Garcia pops up on the screen and lets them know that Unfortunately, Laura Clemenson's body has just been found by some hikers under a bridge. She shows them a picture of the body, and Hotch remarks that they never hide them. They're always pretty easy to find. And Reed points out that the time spent torturing is getting shorter. Uh, the mother hasn't even been notified yet of, of them finding the body, so the team decides they're going to split up. Gideon and Morgan are going to go to the scene of the crime and meet up with the local PD. Hotch and Elle are going to go talk to Mrs. Clemenson, and Reed will work on the victimology to try to find out why these women were targeted. Yeah, everyone's got their jobs, plan. I mean, I'm, I'm a bit stunned that they showed the picture of the body and they didn't travel by Kodak to the crime scene. But uh, hey, maybe they were going to and they decided to switch the order of who we get to see first. But still, uh, I was expecting it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well... Uh, it's it's they I think they've calmed down since the the beginning of last season and a little bit uh, even though they did do it a lot last season but uh, yeah so far well I I don't know I don't remember the first two episodes if we had we, it we, we probably did. did yes we did <laughs> <laughs> okay there goes that that theory so uh, we then cut to uh, the mother of the victim the Mrs Clemenson. And Ellen Hotch are talking to her. She's clearly distraught, obviously, because she's just lost both her daughter and her husband. So this is a very sad situation indeed. And Elle is actually, I thought, very good in this scene as far as being a caring and supportive official. She's willing to help out here. Yeah, and, and that's what Hotch even said on, on the jet, uh, you know. She just lost her husband, too, so you're going to come with me. I mean, basically telling her, be the sympathetic one, please, because I can't. I'm going to yes. be the asshole. <laughs> be the sympathetic one. Uh, yeah, I thought this scene was just really great in terms of, like, L just being the right level of support. Hotch asking the questions that he has to ask so that they can try and narrow down the sub, you know, the suspect pool. And the mother just, like, giving a monologue about her daughter. and <laughs> Just like, you're, 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 I just, my notes for this entire scene are, it's just sad. It's just yeah. Sad scene, really good acting by the by the mother, and you know going through. Well, I don't want to talk about this, and then she can't stop talking about it. And then she starts to blame herself for it, and then she has to stop talking about it. It was just just it see it seemed very real. Yeah, uh, one of the first things that happens in the scene is Elle asks her if they can do anything for her, 
And she mentions that her husband, Frank, had gotten uh, Laura a pearl and diamond ring for graduation. And could she get that back? And that just seems like a really natural thing to come up like it's it's random, but it's 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 a natural thing that maybe you would think of at a, a time like this all of a sudden, you know. Yeah, I mean, the only thing, you know, can you bring me back my daughter? No, I, I'm not going to ask that because that would, you know, that's obviously not, obviously that's what she wants, but obviously she also knows she, she's not so distraught that she doesn't realize that that's not possible. But yeah, that's something that links her daughter and her husband who, you know, of course she wants that back. Yeah. Right. And uh, as you say, Hotch has to ask the the questions that might be, you know, considered a little bit inconsiderate at this time, but uh, he explains that you know, they need to know if they can find out any similarities between the victims so they can narrow down who's responsible. And, and he wants to know if if she was shy and out, and quiet or outgoing. Uh, he's just asking what her personality type is here. And uh, yeah, Mrs. Clemenson goes in and she says she was competent. She knew everyone at the school. She thought of her older brother, Patrick, as her best friend. She wanted everybody to like her. Frank thought she was too much of a people pleaser, but she thinks that it shows a really good heart. And Elle, of course, very kindly agrees with her. And uh, Hotch says the police may have a witness who saw uh, uh, Laura giving some someone some directions. And does that sound like something she would have done? Just kind of a weird question to me. <laughs> have you ever heard of anybody? Who, do you know anybody that doesn't sound like they would give some direction? I mean, I guess you could have people that... Uh, Avoid people, but I, yeah, I guess, I guess it was like, oh no, she'd never talk to strangers. She head down, like, but if she, yeah, yeah. Again, this, this it's just a way to get the, the mother to that emotional breaking point. Like, yeah, it could have been done a little quicker. Yeah, but yeah, he he is kind of asking the same question over again. You know, like, did you have a lot of boyfriends? <laughs> yeah, he didn't go that direction, which you usually would expect in these situations especially from like a beat cop like you know was she sleeping around with somebody is somebody stalking her like you know right. just going online and get out her information and go to <laughs> bars and like no no she was a good girl like didn't go down that road which i i they tend not to do on this show which is what i like about it <laughs> yeah so basically mrs clemenson is like you know we raised our daughter to be helpful and kind and you guys are kind of making it Sound like that makes her an easy target for a killer. Elle, again, is being very comforting, says that she and Frank did everything right. And again, heartbreaking, Mrs. Clemenson just says, you know, this wasn't supposed to happen. This wasn't supposed to happen. We next cut to a the crime scene. Uh, it's a small walking bridge near a stream of some kind. Uh, we see a photographer taking some crime scene photos of the body, which looks gruesome. Uh, severely tortured and wrapped in a, a, a saran wrap type of plastic material. Uh, not completely just yeah. as not if Laura it, Palmer, but it's posed. Yeah. It's yeah. like she's wearing, I would say like uh, taking the place of her on what her underwear would be basically. Yeah. Uh, it's com combination of restraints and somehow modesty. So it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's a weird juxtaposition there. Yeah. Uh, Gideon and Morgan introduce themselves to the local detective, who is Robert Portillo. Uh, they let him know that they think he's looking for two men based on the level of sadistic torture and the desire to document their crimes. And they are confident that this was done by a killing team. 
she's got deep lacerations on her neck, chest, and thighs. The torture went on for several days. Morgan says that the CSI team believes the cause of death was ligature strangulation, uh, which is consistent with the other victims. Gideon says in the video she was wearing a pearl ring on her left hand, and Portillo says no other evidence was has turned up. So Morgan asks uh, Gideon why they would need more trophies, and Gideon says maybe they pass them along as a gift. And Morgan is like, oh, like the Green River Killer? And Gideon is like, yes, he, he'd leave jewelry that he had taken for his female co-workers and then became aroused when he saw them wear it. Uh, Portillo wonders, after all the torture, why do they leave the girls posed in these horrible positions? And uh, they tell him it's the ultimate degradation to the victim and her family, and it's shock value for whoever finds them. And it sends a message to the police saying, look what we can do. You can't stop us. Yeah, I just want to shout out to the actress. I mean, she doesn't do a lot in this uh, episode because, you know, she's basically she's tortured on this video and then she's just lying there dead. But they cut to that body so many times and you can see this ant crawling on her body Mm -hmm. and she is not reacting. And, you know, can you imagine you're lying there and you have to remain still and you feel an ant crawling on your body? That, oof, just... I don't think She's I could do it, AJ. Just, no, <laughs> yeah. and she she is stone cold still. She is, and I just I love seeing that. Just like it, it just gave it such the air of realism that she was dead, dead. Because a lot of times you see them, and you're like, oh, is, there, is the chest moving? Are they actually breathing? Or you know, is there a little twitch or motion? Like there is bugs crawling on her, and she is not moving. Kudos to this actress. <laughs> yes. She's probably played a corpse before. <laughs> oh, I'm sure she's done the whole CSI, NCIS, Law and Order, SVU circuit. <laughs> so uh, next we cut to the police station and Reed is looking at and arranging some pictures on the on the old boards. And Hotch and L walk in. L asks if these are our new victims. And Reed says, actually, Garcia sent a list of all the un- unsolved uh, rapes and murders in the past three years. And he found two that are particularly interesting. Um, besides sharing similar physical traits, the victims were also posed uh, in a similar manner. However, they were manually strangled, not uh, ligature strangled, which is why... Reed thinks that perhaps Jacksonville PD didn't find a connection. Also, the DNA on the first two victims that he's found don't match the DNA, doesn't match the DNA of the recent crimes. But Reed suggests that perhaps the dominant one allowed the submissive one to rape the first two victims in order to draw him in. And then once he's hooked, he starts, you know, keeping those that particular act for himself. He hasn't told Gideon and Morgan anything yet. They're still at the crime scene. Hotch says that they've confirmed Laura Clemenson had good relationships with her family and friends, got good grades, stayed out of trouble, just like all the other victims. JJ notices, again, Detective JJ working her butt off. That's right. (laughs) JJ, the only actual investigator here. (laughs) JJ notices that the DVDs were only addressed to the victim's mothers. And then that causes Reed to, you know, go off on one of his tangent. He says... The mother asked God to forgive the people responsible. And Hotch says, and? 
And Reed says, well, the family that got the first DVD went on TV pleading for their daughter's life. That must have made the unsubs angry. So sending that DVD to the mothers was a message itself. They don't want or need forgiveness. That, that was a pretty good, I thought, deductive leap for, the, for Reed to make there. It made sense. It's, it, I mean, it's, it's at least uh, plausible. It's, it's not like one of these ridiculous leaps where it's like, oh, wait, if you take those three and put their dates in a <laughs> cycle, it means that the killer must have been born on January 17th. Like, it's not one of those ridiculous <laughs> ones. It's like, okay, yeah. Not, nothing, nothing crazy is going on here in terms of their investigation. You know, Garcia said, here's, here's all the cases. I looked at these two. They appear to be. They may not be, but, they, you know, da, 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 yeah. da. I, you know I, I certainly like the way we're seeing the investigation progress here. Yeah. Uh, we then cut to a local street and we see a pretty blonde girl out for a jog. A minivan honks at her and calls her over to ask her for directions to the freeway. She gives them and then turns around. But then the side door of the minivan opens and somebody reaches out and they take this girl. Uh, again, this is the B-team director, and the scene is just so poorly directed. It's like she's jogging. She's wearing she's wearing uh, headphones, and she takes them out to answer, and then she stops, after, turns around, and slowly and dramatically puts in the left headphone, and then slowly and dramatically, it's like she's just waiting for this guy to come out and grab her. Yeah. It's, like, it's so obvious this is someone who knows what's about to happen. Just it, take a second. Take, people. <laughs> it's just awful. So boo, boo, boo to the director. <laughs> and you know what? I don't want to just blame the second unit. Maybe the second unit did fine work, and this is our main director. Uh, but it's know. not with the main cast, so I, I conceivably, I'm, I'm assuming that it was it was, it was <laughs> okay. pawned off. I mean, yes. Do I know? No, I wasn't there. <laughs> My poor second unit. I don't know why I feel solidarity. <laughs> um, <laughs> Next, AJ, we cut back to the police department and uh, Ella's saying that there's now up to seven victims. Reed, still looking at the earlier cases he found, says that the humiliating posing of the body can't be a coincidence. It's just too unique. Uh, Morgan says, well, the bruising on the necks indicated on the first victim that they perhaps struggled. So maybe the killer lost his grip a couple of times and really had to fight these women. Which Hotch leads leads Hotch to say that would explain why he switched from bare hands to a ligature. Uh, it's more efficient, controlled, and still doesn't sacrifice the sadistic need for a slow death. The signature here indicates that these women had the same killers, and we just need to figure out who they are. Yes, Hotch, that is what you need to do: figure <laughs> out who they are. Yeah, this, scene, uh, this scene is, you know, this scene is coming back from commercial, and it's clearly uh, let's recap what's going on for people who tuned in 15 minutes late. It's it's a little bit of that going on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Morgan says that the Jacksonville PD did search everywhere, even the swamps, but they did not find the vehicles of the victims. Uh, he's got Garcia tracing the VINs, but they must dispose of the cars just like they do the women. And Hotch says, yeah, but the bodies were very easy to find. Why did they have so, go to so much trouble hiding the cars? Fair point. We then cut to Gideon and Portillo walking into the ongoing profiling session. And, and Gideon is saying that uh, we won't be keeping your officers too long. And it's a standard profile scene. I'm not going to 
I mean, we covered most of the information already, but it is very important to point out that uh, at one point when they're talking about the teams that they're looking for, Portillo says, so we're looking for two sick minds who complete each other. And Reed says, yes, it's kind of like the perfect storm. Whoop, 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 whoop. <laughs> Episode title. Uh, yeah, that's the main reason I gave you that line. <laughs> Well, and also, I, I was also going to point, if you had not pointed that out, obviously you were going to point out that they gave the title. But I also like the fact that Portillo is part of the profile. Like, this is, I think, the first time we've had, like, the person who is the local yokel really be involved in giving the profile to their team as opposed to sitting in the audience and going, now, wait a minute, what do you mean here? Yeah. So I, I like the fact that yeah, Portillo's with it. Portillo gets it. He knows what he knows. He knows what he doesn't know. But... He's on board. I like that. I wish, I, I hope for them to do that more often uh, because it really gets more buy-in from the from, from the police department. Right. So I think I think in the future we should we should pay attention to that, like and see if that does really correlate to uh, the buy-in from the the rank and file officers that you get when when the chief is like saying, yeah, 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 no, yeah. listen to him. I'm, I'm with him. I'm up here with them. Listen, we're all part of the same team. Yeah. There was no, there was no kickback from them. I mean, and the the way I noticed is it by is by realizing that I didn't notice them really at all, except for you know when you know I noticed Portillo obviously because he's involved in the story, but you didn't feel like the 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 normal sort of glares and annoyance of the locals uh, in this episode, and it's probably for that reason, like you said. A few other things in the profile, they compare these killers to the DC snipers and the Columbine assassins. They talk about how partners sometimes meet in childhood or sometimes they're related like the Hillside Stranglers. Uh, and of course, we get all the pictures of them. Well, I, we, we do the pictures. I thought what was interesting here is that we, they, they did a new trick where clearly they, they when they talked about meeting as kids and becoming partners, they actually are, are have this little staged vignette in the middle of the room. So instead of it being on like a green screen behind whoever's talking, it, it's almost as if they put on a, they, they freeze the action, they put the kids in there, say, do a little vignette, and, run, and then they fade them out, and then Hotch moves a few steps over, and they put in the second vignette at the, at the restaurant, and they, they do it right then and there. So it's a nice, uh, it's an old tactic. But it's done in a new way. So I thought that was actually mm -hmm. kind of cool, except for the fact that Portillo kept looking directly at the people in front of him, whereas everyone else was kind of like looking off into a spacey kind of like, I don't actually right. see this going on here. But Portillo's like looking at the kids going, oh, look, there's kids. Yeah, you do a good job, kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So basically the whole scene is about how these these two teammates probably met up and they're, they're very alike in their twistedness. And so they became bored with normal activity. Now their reality that they've become obsessed with is is the sick one. And the submissive person, however, is usually less intelligent and easier to catch. And then once caught is usually easier to turn. That was an important fact that I that yeah, they brought up. It was cool. So they start to continue on with the profile, but JJ interrupts them to turn on the news conference of our latest victim's mother pleading for her daughter Tiffany's return. Uh, Gideon wants to know immediately why they weren't informed about this before she went on the news, and JJ said that they didn't know about it. It happened in Middleburg, which Portillo says it's uh, nearly an hour away and outside of Jacksonville's jurisdiction. Um, he, he also asks, are you sure that these are the same offenders? And Gideon says... 
Well, she, the victim is the right type, and they grabbed her while jogging, just like the third victim. Hotch says, if they see this on the news, it's going to be just a matter of time before they send out one of their DVDs. And uh, JJ gets on the phone immediately to contact the media to get get herself hooked up with the mother, whose name is Beverly Spears. Uh, Morgan says these guys are getting impatient. And Hotch says, and that means that they're more dangerous today than they were yesterday. And Tiffany Spears is running out of time. Yeah, it's just standard, just following up on what we already know about these cases, the acceleration. Um, it all. There's nothing out of the ordinary here. And I, what I like about this from a watcher's point of view is that I think you, especially this is your first time through the series, like, I think there's nothing here that's surprising you either, I would think, in how they're handling this. It's like, it's, oh, they're getting faster. Yeah, it all, it, like they've established over the whole first season, like, this is what happens. This is how we track them. This is what, this is the next step. They're going to accelerate. Da, 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 da. And everything here is just making it you more and more comfortable with uh, how the BAU handles things so that in the future, they can spend even less time on this stuff and just focus more on characters and, and situations and make them interesting or, you know, do things that subvert those expectations. But I, I right. that's what I'm thinking here. Like, you know, my learning curve is right up here now. I know exactly what they're going to do next. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we do cut to a disturbing scene. It's Tiffany Spears screaming as she's being tortured. We then cut back to Morgan, who is on the phone with Garcia He's asking if she's okay, and AJ, she is not okay. She's watching images of this woman being tortured while she's trying to analyze the audio, uh, and it's going to take her a while. Morgan says he knows and he appreciates her her doing this, and Garcia is like, thanks, sugar, but for right now, even that doesn't feel good to me. However, in some positive news, she has tracked down what happens to be the vehicles of some of the victims all, uh, she traced the parts and they all led her to a place called Trevor's Use Autos in Georgia, uh, which to which Morgan says, no wonder Jacksonville PD couldn't find the vehicles. The unsubs destroyed them and sold the parts over state lines. After he speaks with Garcia, he goes to tell Gideon about this lead. The parts were found in, in Georgia. The sales were traced to a Joey Davin, who lives right here in Jacksonville. Gideon reads Davin's rap sheet. Joseph P. Davin, 27, in and out of jail since he was 17. Number of charges, including car theft with a partner. And Morgan says maybe he likes to team up. Either way, he hasn't seemed to learn his lesson. Doesn't sound too smart to me. And Gideon says exactly why he needs a good leader. The latest victim's mother is in our next scene, Mrs. Spears. She's talking with Hachanel and she's holding an envelope. She's obviously gotten a DVD and she's saying, if this is proof that my daughter's alive, I, I need to see this. Uh, Elle convinces her again, sensitive Elle. I like sensitive Elle. Yeah. Uh, Elle convinces her just to think of her daughter the last way she saw her until they get her back. You don't need to see this video. Uh, so Mrs. Spears just relents and she just pleads with them to help her daughter. Now, can I, is it possible to give an Emmy to someone for hand acting? Because (laughs) this, this woman, she's, she's in this episode for like, you know, two seconds, but the way she hands the envelope over to, to them and let's go and hold on. Let's go. It doesn't want to let it go, but has to let it go. It doesn't like, 
there's so much storytelling in the way that you won't just hand over that DVD envelope. It just, I was amazed at how you could put so much emotion into such a simple gesture. Like, whoo, the casting director is finding some really good people for these small roles here. I, I was blown away by that. I just, I rewound it and watched it again because I was just like, look at that hand acting. <laughs> But I got to say, AJ, I would not want to watch the Emmys for hand acting. <laughs> that would probably not be an exciting show. <laughs> and here, once again, the nominees for Best Acting While Bugs Crawl on You. <laughs> again, through the lights! <laughs> oh, God. So uh, next, we cut to a news reporter who's saying Tiffany Spears' case has been indeed linked to the five other victims murdered in the Jacksonville area. Uh, three of the victims' cars are missing, and the investigators believe that if they can find who took those cars, they will be able to find the killer responsible. The camera pans up from the TV, and we see a very nervous-looking Joey Davin watching the report. Uh, Gideon, Morgan, and Portillo are at the front door knocking, and actually a man in a wheelchair answers. They say they are the FBI, and they're looking for Joseph Davin. And the man is like, what did Joey do now? Uh, eventually, Joey comes out, looks at them, and quickly pulls out a gun. His father is shouting at him not to be stupid. And Joey says, he saw it on TV, three strikes, and he's out. He's not going back. He's not going down for this. They yell at him to put the gun down, but he starts to raise the gun. So Port Portillo shoots him down, three shots. Uh, obviously, the father seems to be very distraught. Portillo asks why he wouldn't put the gun down, and Morgan says he didn't want that third strike. <laughs> and, uh, it made me laugh, even though it wasn't a funny scene. Uh, no, it, it certainly. In fact, I, I found this to be very realistic. You know, it's like he pulls the gun, and the cop instinct takes over. All three of them had their guns up instantly, and it's just like, like no, 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 hey, no, no, put this, put this, put this, put this. a lot of screaming and yelling, and and you know, I. And, you could interpret Portillo's line as being like, uh, oh, my goodness. I just think he was in shock of having shot the guy. I was like, why didn't he put the gun right. down? Why? It, was it, it wasn't like, hey, why did he do that? You know, like he's <laughs> right. heard of Suicide by Cop before. He, he knew what was going on there. So, right. uh, I, and again, point. this is a very real scene here. I, 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 I bought everything, you know, from the – especially the father is like, wow, what did he do now? Oh, Joey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Portillo, again, is saying, man, he didn't have a choice. And Gideon says, yep, and he was our closest link to finding Tiffany Spears. Great. <laughs> so after a break, we come back, and uh, the guys are in there questioning Mr. Davin. <laughs> Just one second. Before they, they come back from the break, and the first thing we see is a shot of Joey being wheeled away, but they leave the body bag open. <laughs> And the only reason they do this is because they're coming back from break. And in case somebody, like, wasn't paying attention or, like, missed, like, there's just, look, it's Joey, the guy, he is who's being pulled out. Like, it, I just find it funny that they didn't, it's not just not zipped, a zipped up, up bag. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an open bag so we can see the face. It's such a TV thing. <laughs> it just made me laugh. Uh, so uh, they are questioning Mr. Davin, who's... Basically, like, can't this wait? <laughs> uh, kind of yeah. <laughs> kind of a stressful time right now. But Morgan says that there's been seven women raped and murdered in the Jacksonville area. We can tie Joe to three of them. And Mr. Javin says he thought that by forcing Joey to move back in with them, it would keep him out of trouble. His son has been living with him for the last two years, ever since 
His MS put him in this wheelchair. Uh, his son works at a garage with a bunch of ex-cons. He tried to get him out of that world. He told him he was better than this. Portillo comes in with an evidence bag, tells Gideon that they just found it. Gideon asks Mr. Davin if his son has a friend or a girlfriend with long blonde hair. And Mr. Davin says not that he knows of. And we cut to outside of the house. And Morgan is saying that the dominant one wouldn't have panicked like that. He wouldn't he would have come just out shooting and gone down in a blaze of glory. Uh, Portillo says, so where's the other half of this partnership? And Gideon, looking at a parked minivan, says, witnesses saw a white minivan, correct? Morgan uh, says, the one you're looking at is Henry's. It's got handicapped plates. Uh, Henry is the father of, by the way, Henry Davin. I don't remember if I've used his name yet. Um, Gideon asks him if he sees any sign that he thinks maybe Henry can be part of this. And Morgan says no. And Portillo says, but if Joey drives the van... He can drive while his partner snatches the girls. Uh, Gideon tells Portillo to have his men process the van, and they decide to have Hotch check out the garage in Springfield where Joey worked and hung out with the ex-cons. Uh, Gideon thinks he, uh, he probably talks to an old cellmate. Uh, he makes the leap that he one of his cellmates would be there as well. I don't know how he got to that, but it's an assumption. It's, it's- I don't think that's that bad. I mean, generally speaking, you know, if there are ex-cons around, it could be people he was in jail with at the same time. It's, it's yeah. a good starting point as any, I think. And besides, we, we all know they have a, a secret weapon that can that's right. things up very quickly. Uh, so we cut to Garcia answering the phone, and she says, yes. Hey, that's who I was talking about. <laughs> I figured. Uh, and Garcia answers the phone in her usual uh peppy style i'll call it and she says this just better be hella good uh she and i are both shocked to hear that it's actually gideon calling she immediately springs up apologizes admit that she's surprised that he's actually calling her uh he says that they need to know who joseph davin shared a cell with she clickety clacks and she seems a little nervous, even if it's taking, you know, three seconds instead of one second. She seems like, come on, come on. <laughs> well, that's what it is. You can tell you can tell she's nervous because she doesn't clickety-clack. She clickety-clack, clack, clack, clack. Yes. clack. <laughs> uh, finally, she does come up with the name Tony Carnado. Carnado. <laughs> Maybe I'll be able to pronounce it. Uh, Canado. Canado. <laughs> I didn't even do it right then. Um and they were in the uh, lockup together for 18 months and both were released at, the, at three years ago. And uh, Gideon goes, oh, before the killing started. And then he asks Garcia if that's it. <laughs> and she says, uh, well, his current address is 865 Kentwood in Jacksonville. And Gideon's like, that's all you got? <laughs> and she's like, uh, yeah. He says, Garcia. You do great work. Keep it up. <laughs> in the most monotone voice of you do great work, like the most monotone way you could say that. And then he immediately hangs up as she's still saying, oh, thank you. Like, uh, and happy. He's already hung up the phone. <laughs> I, you know, it's it's progress from Gideon. <laughs> you know, he's clearly poking fun. Oh, is that it? Is that all, oh, is that all you got? He's, he's actually 
we're so unused to him being that kind of generous. But he's also calling her, which he rarely does. Uh, he knows her name. He tells her she does great work. I mean, this is a changed man, I think, here in, in yeah. season two. That's certainly, <laughs> Something yeah, that's certainly a big difference. Uh, we next cut to the garage where Davin works uh, or worked. And a man is arguing with a customer. Hotch and L walk up to him and he's like, I'm with a customer. So they flash their badges, say they're FBI. They ask him about Davin. He says he fired Davin last week. He wasn't very good at his job. They tell him Davin was shot that morning by Jacksonville police. And he says, sorry to hear that in a nonchalant way that indicates precisely the opposite. <laughs> he's already got another guy that that's taken his place. Hotch holds up a cell phone picture and asks if he knows this guy. And the mechanic says, that's T-Bone, Tony Canardo. He ran with Joey's crowd. And L says, this is one of the ex-cons you were talking about. And he says, yeah, when, when Tony's around, Joey's not taking orders from me. And I can't have too many cooks in the kitchen. Know what I mean? They say they do know what he means. And then he says he's got to get back to work. <laughs> Uh, Elle says, "Yeah, he. Oh God, he's quite the charmer. This this guy's just quite the charmer, isn't he? It's like, it, it's just kind of funny. The, uh, this scene just seems like there was a scene that was missing because they show the picture and we haven't seen context clues and the fact that he says, oh, that's Tony Carnardo, but we're, you know we didn't see them get the picture. Usually they show us first, right. and not the suspect, so that was different. And then he's just like, Hotch's next line is like." Yeah, I don't think Mike Kroger is the killer, or he'd hide it better. And I'm like, who the hell is Mike Kroger? Oh, he must be this guy. We didn't right. we didn't hear the, his name either. It's just, I'm okay with it, but they don't usually do this, so it just threw me. <laughs> yeah, we just have to accept all this happened off screen. That they got all their information, and it, which is great. I, I, but then don't show me a scene where you reiterate the same three. Three points you've been reiterating all episode, which they did last week, which which made me really annoyed with that episode a little bit. So <laughs> yeah, and so yeah, as I said, they're they've decided they've got to check out this guy Mike Kroger, and uh, they'll have Garcia run his sheet, see if she finds anything. <laughs> She's got a lot of clickety clack on her plate this week. I got to tell you that. <laughs> Next, AJ, we cut to Gideon, Patria, and uh, Morgan knocking on a door, and a woman answers, asking who they are. Gideon says, Mrs. Coronado, can uh, Carnado, can they come in? They flash their badges. She sees that they're FBI. She lets them in. <laughs> um, they tell her that they're looking for her husband. She says he's not home. Gideon says he spent time in prison with a man named Joseph Dabin. Do you know him? And she's like, oh, yeah, I know Joey. And Morgan tells her, well, Joey's dead. She says, oh, my God, what happened? And Patrio says, uh, he pulled a gun while we were questioning him. And she says, about what? Gideon says, the seven young women in the Jacksonville area who have been raped and killed. They ask if she knew him that well. She says that when Tony got out on good behavior, he tried to turn his life around and stay clean. And they look around at the place, which is dirty and has plenty of empty beer bottles and shows maybe not a life led as clean as one would hope. And she notices this. Uh, so she says some of those are hers. Then they ask her if Tony ever got in trouble or does anything that scares her when he drinks. And she says only when he's around Joey. When those two got together, she was afraid of what could happen. 
Uh, they ask where he is now. She says, well, he should be getting off work pretty soon and he should be home pretty soon. They ask her if there's any place she can go because they're going to need to talk to him. And she says uh, she can call her friend Kim. And Gideon asks uh, Petrillo to drive him back to the station. And Morgan will wait there all by herself for Carnado. It's okay. He's a big boy. He can handle himself. Yeah, he can. Gideon ain't going to wait there by himself <laughs> for Tony Khan to show him. <laughs> So next we cut to Hotch and he's asking Garcia if she ran the sheet on the guy from the garage, Mike Kroger. She says that, yet she did. This guy needs an anger management course. They got him for assault and battery, assault with a deadly weapon, one attempted rape, although the charges were dropped. And uh, Hotch asks, where was he when Tiffany Spears was abducted? Garcia says his credit card says Miami. Not all of his alibis check out, uh, but you know if there's a loose thread, I'll find it. I will pull it, and his story will be completely unraveled. A tutelor. <laughs> okay, Garcia. Because <laughs> that's Garcia. You know, <laughs> Garcia's going to speak French. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> quirky. We love, we love the quirky Garcia. We yes, do. <laughs> we do. Uh, L goes over and tells Gideon they got Garcia checking Mike Kroger's whereabouts. Uh, when the women were taken, some of the alibis have already checked out. And Reed asks, well, what about Tony Carnado? And Gideon says, Morgan is still outside of his house waiting. And then a cop comes in and tells Gideon that someone's there to see him. So he goes out and there is Mrs. Carnado. And she now has a black eye and a bloody lip. Gideon asks her, hey, what happened? She says after he left, she got nervous. So she went herself to find Tony. He knew something was up, so she told him the truth. She said the FBI was there asking questions. And Elle says, so he hit you? And she says, well, she wasn't completely honest with them about Tony. He did fall off the wagon a little while ago. She was just afraid to say something. She didn't want to betray him. He is her husband. And Elle says, it's good. It's good. You're here now. You're safe. You're safe with us. Um... She tells Gideon that she's going to get in touch with Portillo and Hotch and tell them to meet up with Morgan. And uh, Reed notices that uh, Mrs. Carnado is wearing a ring. He asks her about it and she says, is it new? And she says, well, Tony won the money playing uh, poker and he bought it as a gift. Why? And Reed says, well, it happens to look like Laura Clemenson's. Um, and Mrs. Carnado just sort of shudders and takes the ring off and puts it down on the on the yeah, desk. She, she cannot take that ring off fast enough. It's like, get this yeah. thing off my finger. Mm-hmm. Uh, we then cut back to the Carnado house, and he's arriving home. Morgan sort of sneaks up behind him and follows him around a corner with his gun drawn. But uh, we don't see Carnado there. Then all of a sudden, he appears behind Morgan and swings a baseball bat at him. And Morgan goes down. And my man, who just took a hit with a baseball bat, AJ, <laughs> just turns around and says, big mistake. <laughs> and and is able to leap up and tackle Coronado. <laughs> uh, we get a short little fight scene. But Morgan is victorious. Uh, Need, needless to say, and uh, just then, in a case of perfect timing, Hotch and a b- 
bunch of police come ar- screaming around the corner and and Hotch is like, oh, what? You couldn't wait for us? And uh, Morgan says, well, he didn't want him to go away. Hotch does check if he's OK. Morgan says he's fine. Uh, and he tells Carnado he should have stuck to beating up girls. And then they bring him inside. Yeah, my favorite part of this whole thing is that Hotch says you, you couldn't wait. And then he says, well, did he say anything? And Morgan says no, but I really wish Morgan would have said, yeah, ow, ooh, oof, as my fist went into his body. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, you can't really mess with Morgan. I I was like, that was a pretty good swing with that baseball bat, and it it just knocked him down. It didn't. Ow, boom, mother (laughs) blubber. Uh,. Maybe if you're really trying to get away, you go for the head. Yeah. I, I don't. I'm not encouraging that. No, it, <laughs> I'm just yeah, saying the, the, the rational. I mean, you, you would think most people are going to get hit hit the bat. They're going to just go down and stay down. But you know, we are talking about Derek Morgan. <laughs> so now uh, they go inside to uh, Carnado's house. Hotch walks up to a DVD player at a TV and asks if anyone has watched this. Uh, Morgan says, oh, no, they never even got into this room, so they never saw them. They start up a DVD, and immediately it's a girl getting tortured to the sounds of Billy Joel. Um, Morgan, um, not by the sounds of Billy Joel, to the sounds of (laughs) Billy Joel. Uh, Morgan Morgan asks Carnado, where is she? And he just grins at him. And we cut to Spears. We see Spears. She's wrapped up like the other women uh, in that saran wrap-like substance. Uh, But she is alive, and she's struggling, and she's screaming for help. That's a good part for a commercial. (laughs) Yeah. And when we come back, we cut to the police department. Hotch is saying if they're going to get anything out of Tony, they've got to praise him. He's the dominant. He thinks he deserves it. Morgan says, yeah, you confirm instead of undermining his expectations. You make him think that he's smarter than you because he he can see everything coming. Um, Gideon, again, says that they don't have much time because somebody has to say that every (laughs) 12 minutes or so. You know, (laughs) it's a little... It's a little weird to say that because if you either she's dead already or she's alive and, well, if you have the dominance in your interrogation room and the submissive has been shot and killed, then you probably do have a little time. Right. So uh, Hotch walks into the interrogation area. Carnado holds up his shackles and chains like, like, what's up, dude? <laughs> like, that, that I'm in these shackles. And uh, Hotch is actually apologetic and says, oh, it's standard procedure. He introduces himself, says, I just want to say that this case, your case, it's remarkable. You've got people at the BAU shaking their heads. And Carnado's eating it up. He's like, what about, what about you? Are you shaking your head? And Hotch is like, absolutely. Seven victims in three years. You've got every woman in Jacksonville living in fear. That's pretty much what you wanted, isn't it? And Carnado is just like, I'm sure whoever's responsible for this is enjoying it. Uh, Hotch says that the BAU would like to study him, interview him. 
with his permission, of course. <laughs> and uh, there are several boxes in the room. So Carnado says, well, show me what's in the boxes. Hot says, they're awful. It's all you. He pulls out some paperwork. He's like, we can open all the boxes if you want. And Carnado instead just demands a lawyer. Uh, so he wants the lawyer up. Gideon says outside the room that he's playing games. This guy's been to jail before. He knows how to keep his mouth shut. Hotch is telling him that they'll deal with him if he can give up where Tiffany Spears is. And then Hotch leaves him alone. Uh, and as he's alone, he's looking at the pictures of the earlier victims. And uh, Hotch comes back to the crew, rest of the team and says it doesn't seem to be working. And Gideon thinks, well, maybe it's worth a shot if we put his wife in there with Carnado. Maybe that would serve to help humanize him and get him to speak up. So he goes to talk to her, Mrs. Carnado, and asks her how she's holding up. And uh, he then tells her that Tony won't talk to them. So he wants her to go in and perhaps he'll talk to her. She, of course, is reluctant. She says she can't do that. He'll he'll kill her. She turned him in. Look what he already did to her. And Gideon says he knows, but he believes she's the only one who can get through to him. With Joe dead, he's the only one who knows where Tiffany Spears is. And if he tells you you've saved her life, you're her only hope right now. So, of course, that appeals to her to be a lifesaver. So she disagrees to it. Hey, you know, Gideon knows how to play people, <laughs> get them to do what he wants. He's the dominant. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They bring a... Mrs. Carnado in the room to talk to him. She says, honey, I need to know where the girl is. And he says, don't you mean they need to know? Why should I tell them anything? They're pinning us for seven murders, Amber. She says, I can't believe you and Joey killed them all. We were on our way to better things. I'm be begging you. Where did Joey take the girl? Tell me, you know, uh, he finally relents. He says, well, there's this storage unit. And Joe's dad is the only one who has the key. So then uh, Amber is coming out of the room and she says to Gideon that she can't believe her husband killed all these women. Gideon says she's done the right thing and offers to go get her some water. And Reed says, isn't Joe's dad, isn't he in a wheelchair? And Gideon says only for the last two years, Henry Davin could have raped and killed the first two women three years ago. And then brought in Joe and Tony to continue his work. Maybe it's the only satisfaction that he can get. They record it and then he lives on vicariously through them. So perhaps it was a team of three. They did find. And that and and, and that, that, you know, this goes right back to Gideon's first statement that, you know, it's the fight I do is is not necessarily two people. Yeah. So, you know, they said and more in that conversation, two or more. Uh, so it's a nice callback to that. And. This also fits in with everything they have, that the first two victims were uh, raped by someone else. So this all is coming together. B.A.U. getting the job done. Won't be long till this case is wrapped Yeah, we, we got, well, we got a few more minutes to go, AJ. No, 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 no. I think this is all <laughs> wrapped up nice, neat bow. This one is done. Let's just roll the credits now. We don't even need the last 15 minutes. Let, let's let's go to the news early. Uh, unfortunately, we have more. 
Elle is talking to JJ, and she does mention that Tony Carnado is a sick bastard. His mom abandoned him when he was four. Then she got clean, and then she got him back until he was 11. And then at that point, she got busted for prostitution. And JJ is like, no wonder why he hates women. And Elle says, this guy never had any support, no foundation, no security. Hey, how did he get the confidence to pull this off? And JJ says, well, maybe that's why he needed a partner. And Elle says, yeah, but he's supposed to be the dominant one, the leader. And she doesn't see how he can be, given his history, AJ. It's almost as if just by JJ being in the room, it forces you to do some more detective work. <laughs> Damn, you didn't want to give Elle credit. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's a very interesting point she brings up. This guy's supposed to be the yeah. dominant. He doesn't seem like it. Uh, Morgan, Hotch, and Petrillo bust into the storage room that they were given as a location. But Tiffany is not there. No one was there. And it, it doesn't even look like the place that was in the video. Gideon and Reed, we cut to them talking, looking at the interrogation videos of Carnado. And... Uh, they notice he's been playing the tough guy, but it's very defensive, like a false bravado. And so they decide to look at the tape of the uh, the talk when he was talking to Amber. And, and Gideon points out that she's not scared. And Reed says, well, she looks scared. And Gideon says, no, look at her. She's the one that initiated eye contact. If she was scared, she'd be looking anywhere but his face. And then... They notice that she's looking at the victims and she doesn't seem repulsed by it or even like any kind of reaction other than sort of a calm reaction. Meanwhile, at the same time, Garcia has called JJ and L and they've got to hear this audio that she's finally been able to isolate. And it's clearly it's very clear. I was kind of surprised based on how, you know, unisolated it was that the isolated version was so clear and crisp. But it, you know, it's Garcia. She can do all. Well, I'll go yeah, with it. I mean, not only that, but right there, I, I watch with closed captioning and it says Amber colon. <laughs> yes. It's how, how much clearer can you get than that? <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, we then... We then cut back to uh, Gideon uh, looking at the interrogation still, and he's uh, realizing that uh, that Carnado is studying Amber. He's he's waiting for her to lead him. He's protecting her. He's giving her an out. He's looking out for her. So he goes out to look for Amber, but she's gone, and Gideon starts screaming, I told you guys to watch her. Where is she? So he's not giving them a chance. Yeah. Okay. So, so here's the big. This was the big twist of the episode, is that, you know, had nothing to do with with Joey at all. It was this is this was our duo here, uh, and Amber is is the uh, dominant one. Did they fool you? Were you fooled by this? What What is your take on? Uh, it? I was, I was kind of sus uh, of Amber, uh, and I don't know. I don't know why. But especially in the interrogation scene, I didn't know what it was, but I knew something seemed off. And I did feel like maybe she was kind of trying to get him to say what she wanted him to say. Um, I didn't I didn't think about the full detail of it. But for some reason, I, I, I have to admit, it's not like I felt 
cheated or anything like, oh, everybody could have knew that. But I also felt like I kind of got it earlier than now. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I, 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 for me, what I, what I think was really cool about it on the rewatch is that, uh, you know, it, Gideon and Reed kind of figure it out at the very, at the very end there in that last scene when they're watching the video and what they say that they notice is, you know, her, she doesn't react to the uh, pictures at all, which is great because they seeded that in the beginning, how, how upset Garcia was. And she's familiar with this sort of stuff. And these pictures were so gruesome to her that the fact that she didn't react is even more, uh, you know, glaring uh, personality trait. So I, I, I did like that they seeded that there uh, at the beginning of, of the whole episode. Uh, I also think there's a clue in here that they kind of missed is they, you know, they often do talk about on the show the difference between how men treat victims' bodies and how women treat victims' bodies and the fact that she was modestly covered mm. with the tape and everything, even though, and the bizarre poses, but they were modestly covered uh, is something a woman would do as opposed to something a man would do. And they've mentioned that before. And so it was like the fact that they never clued into it as it being a woman, because um, everything they, every step of the way they did do yeah. things that made sense. But it, it was there for us who had watched the show and are following along and listening. So I I do like that they're playing fair with their mm -hmm. twists still at this mm -hmm. point. Also, I I just really didn't feel like the Henry Davin. He just really didn't seem like like I know you can never figure it yeah. out, but he really didn't seem like he was involved with this. Uh, he seemed more like somebody who was just concerned because his son had went down the wrong path. He did not seem sure, sure. But they, at least they had they had given us a potential other person with right. with, with Kroger. So like ah, oh, it could have been oh yeah, this album I didn't check out clickety clickety clack. <laughs> so th there were ways they could go here. So uh, all right, well let us wrap up the final uh, ties and uh, cross the T's, dot the I's, and where is Amber, Kintad? Well, AJ, we come back from break and Reed is talking to Hotch and he says that they've analyzed the tape of Tony and Amber and it turns out that she's the dominant one. Uh, Garcia has isolated her voice, giving the orders on the DVD, and Hotch says that means she's doing the killing. So where is she now? Reed says she told the cops that she was going for a smoke and she left. <laughs> and Hotch says that they are running out of time. Again. Um, but this well, time they I really believe, are. Now I believe it, yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's the, kill, the killer's on the loose going to dispose of the body. Now they already had a time. Yes, no, yes. he's right. Uh, so they need to find out where they're holding Tiffany. Uh, so Gideon says, you know what? He's going to change his approach. Uh, at this time, also, JJ comes and lets them know that Joey Davin's DNA doesn't match on the first two victims, which also means that neither would Henry Davin's DNA match since he's his father. So they say, who raped the first two girls then? <laughs> and Gideon Ooh. goes in to talk to Carnado. He's like playing it cool with Carnado. Oh, you're a lucky man, you know. You, you, your wife had to know what you were doing to all those women and she stayed with you anyway. It must be great to feel appreciated by the woman you love. And he says, it does. And uh, Gideon says, I know you and Amber would do anything for each other, but why would you confess to killing these two women when you had no idea who they are? And Joey's like, I killed all of them. 
And Gideon says, really? Well, whose DNA did we find at the scene? He's like, huh? And Gideon says, well, it's not yours. It's not Joe's. That poor guy probably had no idea these cars belonged to the women you killed. And it makes you wonder if you and Joe hadn't shared a cell together, maybe he'd still be alive. And he starts saying, well, you got the wrong idea. You got the wrong idea. He says, no, I think you've got the wrong idea, Tony. Joe wasn't your partner. Tiffany Spears isn't at the storage unit. You want to know what else? We can hear Amber's voice on the videos telling you what to do. Uh, Why? Why are you protecting her? And he tries to say, well, she's my wife. And Gideon says, hey, it's more than that. And he says, look, nothing would ever come between us. Not you, not nothing. Besides, Amber would never do anything to hurt me. Reed gets a call and it's Garcia. And she says, no time for pleasantries. I was able to unseal a file regarding Amber Carnado. It says that when Amber was 15, she walked into a Tallahassee hospital she was raped and beaten something awful. Doctors deduced that it was abuse from her father and her brother. Eventually, they convinced her to go to the police. But when she did, her mom showed up and told them that Amber was lying. Um, she did nothing to protect Amber from the abuse. So now she feels betrayed by her mother. And she receives some extreme pleasure, sadistic pleasure, in watching the same thing that happened to her happen to others. It's very strange in this case, the abused actually became the abuser. Garcia's like, that doesn't happen a lot, does it? And Reed says, one in eight. Uh, <laughs> we, we found the one then. Then they say, did you ask Amber how the first two women died? We cut back to uh, Gideon with... Uh, Tony. With Tony. Carnado. Tony. And he says, did you ask Amber how the first two women died? She's done it before, Tony. He's like, no, she hasn't. And Gideon's like, yes, she has. With other men, you're not so You've special. You've been hoodwinked. Men, You've men been mean bamboozled. nothing to her. You've been bamboozled. <laughs> been led astray. landed on you. <laughs> she used you, Tony, just like the other guy. He's like, shut up, shut up. She set you up, Tony. She had you do everything. Whose DNA do you think that was at the scene? Come on, think about it. Amber beat herself up. She walked in here. She handed me Laura Clemenson's ring. She told us you gave it to her as a gift. You know it's true. That's why you're upset. And then uh, Gideon is told that Garcia found out that Amber was abused by her brother and her father. They take her to the woods. Uh, this is happening over his yeah, little earpiece. Yeah, read, read, read his walkie-talkie into his earpiece, which is really weird, but... Which, yeah, it, there's yeah. a few things in this, in this episode <laughs> that they could have, again, staged a little differently. But anyway, they, they close up of the ear and we, yeah. we get it. <laughs> uh, so he's still yelling at Carnado. She betrayed you, Tony. There's only one way to get her back. Because you did. if you don't, she'll forget about you, just like this other guy. Tell us where she's keeping the girl. Uh, so finally... Carnado relents. He says, I know that Amber's father kept her in the woods so no one would hear her scream. Uh, So there's a cabin. There's a cabin in the woods. So we're going to cut to the FBI. They're in the woods. They approach the cabin. um, And they scream and they go in there and Amber is there and she's beating poor Tiffany up. They're trying to. FBI, back off! And uh, and uh, and Amber's given her best uh, 
oh, what's her name? Amy Madigan? The the one from Pulp Fiction, not Amy Madigan, uh, in the beginning scene. Amanda Plummer. Oh, Amanda Plummer. She, yeah. She reminded me of her. <laughs> yeah. That's who she reminded me of in this scene. Uh, and uh, I still can't. I still can't get over the get over the fact that this is Tiffany being beaten up by Amber, and I keep wondering where's Thesis. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that's a deep pool. Well, not that deep if you come from a certain age group. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, so they save Tiffany. They're FBI. They're not going to hurt her. She's okay. Believe me, she's okay. And Amber says, she'll never be the same. <laughs> uh, and they let them know. They got Amber. Tiffany Spears is alive. Tiffany Spears is alive. Everything is all right. We cut to Garcia, who is just sort of sitting there and looking drained. But, like, it's over. It's done. It's it's kaputs. It's over. Finally. And, and she, she hits the button and the DVD, which has been running on a loop, turns to static. And she can finally try and get those images out of her mind. But you know what? I don't think Garcia will ever be the same either. No. Just, these things stay with you. And now we're on the jet. We're on the jet. And I think the looks on everybody's face on the jet. They're not going to be the same either. Some cases, like this one, are going to stick with you. And you can see it on everybody's face. Yep. Uh, so we determined that the Jacksonville, Jacksonville PD found the remains uh, of a body on the grounds of the cabin. They think it's Amber Carnado's old boyfriend. And uh, they figure that uh, that DNA will match the first two victims. And at least the families will finally have some closure and they're happy they did save Tiffany Spears. And we get a closing quote. And it's from Hutch this time, of all people. Hutch! And uh, <laughs> he says, Philosopher Khalil Givran wrote, Out of suffering have emerged the strongest souls. The most massive characters are seared with scars. And the look on his face as we've, we cut to the shot of the jet flying back home, Hotch's face just has this look on it like, did we win? <laughs> and then he's thinking, and what is my son's name? <laughs> <sighs> no, he's not thinking that. But that was the episode, AJ. <laughs> uh, what did we think? Let's check out our barometer, folks. Every episode, we like to sort of rate and figure out if the team actually won the episode. Um, we have AJ give you that update. What do we think this week, AJ? I, you know, I would think yeah, absolutely. The, you know, there was one kidnapping on their watch, and they found her. She was alive. They caught the unsub. They caught the unsub's partner. They unfortunately were lured into a suicide by a cop of another unsub who was involved uh, at least uh, obliquely he didn't really know about the killings but you know sure enough uh, everybody was caught Every, who needed to be caught everyone was saved who needed to be saved uh, that, that's a win but again as as Hodge says in the closing quote it's not without its scars so uh, not all wins uh, leave you dancing and celebrating but it was a win nevertheless agreed they uh they didn't have a lot of uh, 
humor this episode and they didn't even really have time for a lot of the character development I usually like to have, but it was still a tense enough episode, even despite some some little uh, some little unfit, some little not so great moments. It was still a good episode, I thought. Yeah, and uh, we're working on a, an undefeated season so far. We're at two wins and one tie, so we'll see. Uh, uh, we'll see how long it takes before the Miami Dolphins can pop that cork. <laughs> <laughs> okay, AJ, the other thing we like to do after every episode, going over every episode, is have a little quiz. Oh, I was going to say take a inspired shower. Inspired <laughs> by the episode. Well, yes, uh, we need to do that. But also, we like to have a little quiz. You host a wonderful podcast called Beat My Guest. It's a trivia-inspired podcast. I recommend everybody download that and give it a listen if they haven't. Uh, but uh, that's why you're qualified to be the quiz giver. Oh, yeah, sure. Well, I don't know if I'm qualified, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, thank goodness you don't need a license. So, yeah, here's three trivia questions inspired uh, by the episode of Criminal Minds that we just watched and talked about so question number one for you sir frank ashmore he's an actor who was in this episode he played old henry davin in the wheelchair uh papa davin uh i saw his name in the credits and instantly recognized him uh from his role playing an alien on what television series in the 1980s playing an alien on what normally this category 80s tv is right up my alley. Um, I think it's a little bit too late. Mork and Mindy was the seventies. That was a, a show popular. Did you say? You just said television series. You didn't say if it was That's a drama or a comedy. Yep. Uh, I'm going to say. 1980s alien makes me think of V. So I'm going to say V. V is your answer, and V is correct. Well done, sir. Yes, Frank Ashmore, of course, played Martin, a uh, member of the fifth column on the ship with the aliens. Oh, yeah. Uh, so he was kind of like the, uh, the secret spy, the alien who didn't uh, jive with what the aliens were doing. <laughs> yeah, he, he was he a was... nice guy. I vague, yeah. vaguely remember that. And I that. said series, yes. it was a miniseries, then it was a second miniseries, but then it actually became a series. Uh, and uh, yeah, we will have right. other people who were on V uh, guesting on Criminal Minds some point down the road. So, oh. Diana. Uh, I don't think Jane oh. Adler does, but you know, just... if she does, I, I don't recall right now. But there will be others. Uh-huh. We, we will see. We will see. Okay. Uh, but good. One for one. Robert Englund? Excellent. Okay. No, it's all Sorry. good. One for one. Let's see if... <laughs> Uh, not Mark Singer, not Figure Ant. <laughs> <laughs> Number two. All right, we talked about it. Billy Joel's song, Only the Good Die Young, was prominently featured <laughs> in this episode. Uh, did you know that it was actually banned from several radio stations when it was originally released in 1978 for its anti-Catholic content? Of course, once that happened... The popularity of the song only grew, and it started uh, getting a lot more radio airplay because of the protests against it. So I ask you, multiple choice, what was the highest that Only the Good Die Young ever advanced on the Billboard charts? 
Did it A, reach number one? B, the top 10, but not number one. C, the top 20, but not the top 10. D, the top 40, but not the top 20. Or E, it actually never reached the top 40 at all. Okay. Uh, although I was alive at the time, and I listened to Casey Kasem on, America's on the weekends uh, and got the top 100, <laughs> got the top 40, uh, I don't specifically remember that particular week <laughs> or time. Uh, so this is a total guess, and I'm going to go with... Uh, It never charted at all. Oh, you fool! <laughs> no, it did indeed chart, but it was never, never in the top 20. It only got as high as 24 on the charts, which is surprising because it has such staying power. Uh, but Billy Joel was not actually that uh, that popular. I, I do think, I did find it amusing that, uh, you know, they're like, oh, it's no. Catholic, oh, boo, boo. but Copacabana, which is about, you know, uh, showgirl who has affairs that was actually higher than <laughs> Billy Joel's song on the charts. Nothing wrong with that one. Uh, yeah. And they only had to wait. What was it? Four or five years for uh, Madonna to come around preach. and really <laughs> give them something to like a prayer. <laughs> think about. Take me there. Uh, yeah. So top forty, but not top twenty, was the correct answer there. All right, fifty-fifty here. But here comes the question I knew you were waiting okay. for. Always waiting for it, sir. What is the plot of our next episode going to be? Criminal Minds, Season 2, Episode 4, entitled Psychodrama. Psychodrama. Is it A, a bank robber's M.O. involves making everybody he holds hostage in the bank undress before he takes their money? Is it B, <laughs> a killer with a conscience turns himself into his shrink and threatens to hold her hostage until she makes him better? Is it C, hostages are taken at a roadside motel after a bunch of skeletons are unearthed during road construction in front of the business? Or is it D, it's the BAU to the rescue when an unsub holds the cast of a high school play hostage. <laughs> a lot of hostages this week. Uh, uh, I'm not going to uh, play around and try to give you intelligent reasons for any of my guesses. I'm just going to say that the answer is C, the skeletons found outside of the hotel. And then the All guests right, are that the would be wonderful. Except that is technically the plot of Psycho, <laughs> and not the plot of Psycho drama. Actually, more uh, of a Bates Motel uh, version of of the plot of of the television adaptation of Psycho. But yeah, no, no, Kintan, <laughs> we are gonna get you naked in the bank. That. Bank robber M.O. involves everyone oh. undressing before he takes their money. And and I, I you know, I like 
My role here is to never give you spoilers beyond this question for the next week's episode. But I'm going to break my own rule here and give you a spoiler about next week's episode, sir. Next week. Okay. The longest pressing question on our minds will be answered. You will learn the name of Hotchner's son. Oh, you know this for sure. Did you already watch it or are you, you... I didn't already watch it. I, you know, look ahead to remind myself of the plots. Okay. And I know what the B plot is. And therefore, I know the answer to this question will be answered next week. Our long national nightmare. <laughs> well, I mean the pandemic, nope. but then our second, <laughs> our second long national nightmare. <laughs> yes. No longer will Aaron Hotchner have to go... Son, kiddo, <laughs> hey, you. <laughs> oh, thank God. Uh, that makes me really happy. Uh, folks, wonderful. It's great. Thank you so much for showing up. That's this week's episode of Balonious Pundits. Thank you, AJ, for a wonderful quiz and a wonderful time, as always. Uh, I hope you guys continue to do all those important things. I want to give a shout out, AJ, to Chris Body. Chris Body. He has uh, written us at <laughs> Felonious Pundits. Very nice email. Shout out to Chris. Thank you. Uh, we know there are probably more of you out there. <laughs> Well, you know, there may be one of eight, but we got one. <laughs> yes. We got the one. <laughs> Shout out to you, Chris. Uh, if you want to write to us, you can at feloniouspundits at gmail.com. Or you can follow our Twitter uh, at podcast underscore pundits or something similar to that. <laughs> you might have to double check. It's felonious pundits. Uh, you know. Follow us. Do all those things. I've got. I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm done. AJ, this, this was a for great week. Uh, thank you so much. And over and out. Until next time, as I always say, keep profiling. Wheels up. Here we are, trapped in the amber of the moment. There is no why. Kurt Vonnegut.